Hello and welcome to episode three of New Horizons. I'm your host Steve and joining me today we have got Colin. Hello. And we have got our returning guest host Mike. Welcome back. Thank you. Hello everybody. Now in our last episode um, we discussed mainly the production itself um, of Star Trek Discovery as well as um, sort of some of the Federation information that we have to hand at the moment. And Voyager. And Voyager. <laughs> and these Space Nine novels, TNG, the original series. And we went all over the place. We did indeed. So, this time, we're going to concentrate on the Klingons. It's uh, one yeah, of the right. things that... <laughs> yeah. Now, this is one of the things that we have seen a lot of when it comes to the trailers um, and the artwork that's actually come out of Star Trek Discovery for the moment. There is a big change with the Klingons. Now, this isn't the first time that Star Trek has seen a change in the Klingons. Um, when it came to Star Trek The Motion Picture, um, which came out in 1979, yeah, um, we saw the first ever Klingon that actually had ridges. And actually, all the Klingons had ridges, which, of course, in the original series... There weren't any. Yep. So, Mark Leonard again. Popping it, up. Yeah. Mark Leonard, yeah. Now, this was the first time that we'd seen this sort of thing happen. There's a lot of people who didn't like the change. They wanted to know sort of what happened to the Klingons. We'd got a decade worth of advancements in prosthetics. Um, sort of, not to mention you'd actually got a budget for a film. So they'd actually had the money to actually make these things. This got carried over with um, the next generation. But even Worf actually went through, was it two revisions? Um, so big revisions of... Yeah, but that's because someone stole his head. <laughs> <laughs> we have seen Klingons change. As I mentioned in episode two, if you actually have a look at Memory Alpha, I've counted 11 Klingon houses that we've seen so far. Now, it has been said that Star Trek Discovery, there are basically 24 houses for the Klingon Empire at this time. In Star Trek Enterprise, we had a couple of episodes um, which dealt with the augments and how the Klingons actually lost their forehead ridges. How I see some of this actually going, we're seeing factions of Klingons which have sort of split away from the main part of the Klingon Empire possibly. We know that one of the worries for a lot of Klingons that lost their forehead ridges was the fact they were basically going to be second-class citizens in their own empire because they basically looked human. Although, based on the timeline, we know they were still serving and they had their... they were on ships. And that, in a way, does work because... Each ship that we saw with Klingons, none of the Klingons were serving with any Klingon that had ridges. The fact that Enterprise was based around 100 years before um, what we're seeing in Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek the original series. Now, we're seeing these Klingons. We've mainly seen them with their sort of sort of dress um, outfits because it looks like it's a Klingon funeral. We, do, we have seen clips of them in more sort of leather-bound uniforms as well. So what I'm thinking is we somehow come across other 
factions of the Klingon Empire that don't like the humans because of what happened with the Augment virus. Now, these Klingons, I've also noticed, don't have hair. Now, of course, all other Klingons that we've seen so far in lore do. Now, we know just from our own planet, we have a lot of people that deliberately shave their heads and things like that. So we've got, like, Buddhist monks. You don't often, <laughs> don't really see them with hair. What I'm assuming is because they probably want to show off their ridges more because they are, in their thoughts, Klingons and they don't want to be infected by the augments. They sort of split away and have kept that way. So their ridges is what it's all been about. So over this last hundred years, you've got this faction of Klingons and this is where we are and what we're being introduced to. Well, I've actually said... Um that the different Klingons live on different planets, so they're going to have different evolutionary features based on adapting to the planet. Mm. So that's one of the one of the reasons why they've explained the differences. Now, if he was on a, a planet that was on the far reaches of the Empire, the Augment virus probably wouldn't have touched him. So, and if, if your planet is like, you have to evolve in a certain way to a certain planet, then you're going to be different. Now, I mean, look at this planet. You know, look how... Look how Humans all over the planet have all got different characteristics due to evolution of their particular environment. But, as I said, based on the fact that all the Klingons we see and we've got such different sort of head ridges, one of the things I think of is, one, yes, as I said, location, but also I'm thinking this is a breakaway part of the Klingon Empire, which is why we don't we haven't heard of them in any of, like, Next Generation, DS9, Voyager, things like that, because... They sort of broke away because they want to keep Klingon. They don't like humans or the Federation because they blame them for what happened and they're threatened that we'll ruin the Klingon way of life because of the Augment virus. I think because of the way Kirsten Beyer, as I mentioned in episode two, and her novels and the way that she links in stories from so many different series and storylines, um, even the smallest of threads, based on her writings in those Voyager novels. I think it, she may link that back to Enterprise. Well, it's it's true. The, the Augment storyline worked with what we knew from the other TV and movies. It A lot of people would say that it didn't really need an explanation. Just, just go with it, the fact that uh, prosthetics and makeup changed over the decades and the shows simply reflected that. I'm glad they did give it an explanation because continuity, canon, I believe it is important. If you've got a franchise this big, this uh, been around for so long, one of the benefits is uh, is its continuity. Uh, the augment system uh, worked perfectly for the storyline. Even the uh, trials and tribulations and Worf <laughs> in the classic line saying, you know, we don't discuss it. That worked. That was fine. Ultimately, though, I th I th I've always thought when I was watching the TV series, when I was reading, reading the early books long before TNG came along, the simple fact that these were, you know, the first Klingons we met, they were hybrids. They were, the Klingon species were predators. They were colonizing. They were taking over these worlds. The Imperial Klingon, the ones that had the ridges that we never saw, they were on the home world and they sent out their, the, you know, the lower level troops onto the front lines. That's why we met the Klingons who didn't have uh, ridges. You know, they, they were subjects of the worlds. Because whenever you see, the Romulans are the same. They have empires, but 
it makes you wonder if when they conquer a planet, if they commit genocide and only put their own people on it, because mm. we don't see many subjugated, subjugated races in the TV and movies. There's an Enterprise episode where there's, there's people uh, asking for asylum on Jonathan Archer's ship from the Klingon Empire. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it, make, it made sense to me at the time that if you've got this huge empire, you take over a planet and five generations later, the the children being born would consider themselves Klingon subjects. And as as with the Roman Empire, you can you can fight in our armies, you can fight in our legions, you can man our warships on the frontier as we expand the empire. So that made perfect sense to me that the Federation Starfleet were meeting all these Klingon hybrids. They were Klingons, but they weren't Imperial True Blood Klingons. And that worked for me right until they came up with this explanation in Enterprise, which, yeah, which fitted. And I liked it. I, I remember when I first saw Worf, I think it was on a VHS of the original series, you know, coming coming next year, you know, TNG, and you saw this. I first saw, what's a Klingon doing on the bridge of the Enterprise? <laughs> and he looked weird. He didn't look like the Klingons I were used to. As it turned out, <laughs> he became one of the best characters that has ever existed in Star Trek, mainly because of his time on Deep Space Nine, it has to be said. But again, this idea of the Klingons... Evolving on one world, uh, different parts of the world creating slightly various uh, physical characteristics as we see on our world, uh, as they became what capable, uh, maybe a religious sect, maybe broken down into houses, some moved away, they disappeared for centuries, uh, it depends how long the empire has been around, long before Earth started venturing out into the galaxy, that's for sure. But again, it works. You, you can say, oh, they're doing Klingons again. Haven't they done it enough? If they come up with a good story and a good explanation, I am going to sit back and enjoy it. And the idea that this, these Klingons are w one step away from the Klingons we know on their homeworld. They have different traditions, different beliefs. And as we've seen from that brief little Klingon teaser, we are scared we will lose what we are. And that can... <laughs> can very much cause a conflict with uh, what they might perceive as an invading species. It's because of that line, which is what made me think it could be linked back to the Augment virus. They, they split off because that was happening, um, and they want to make sure that humans don't bring that sort of thing to them. They don't lose who they are. Yeah. Um, which is where my train of thought sort of went to and... As I said, knowing sort of what I've read of Kirsten Byers' writing, um, especially, um, who's one of the writers behind Star Trek Discovery, um, thought, hmm, that could be where this sort of starts off, is we're exploring a new world, and we come across Klingons that are there, and something happens, because we've seen in a trailer ships in battle and um, a ship exploding, that, yeah, Something kicks off with the Klingons, and one of the reasons is they really don't like humans, and because they are a, a warrior caste, they just it starts off a war, which is why all this happens. You'd also got to remember all that. I mean, if you take what we know of the Klingons from DS9 and TNG, we know that Kalos fought a species called the Beklar. Mm -hmm. So that would be an inter. That would be another species coming to. Uh, Kronos to conquer the Klingons and 
from what we know in that, that's basically the 9th century AD here. So the Klingons, that probably would have propelled the Klingons into like developing, you know, defences against space-faring races, which would have propelled them into space. So the fact that there's these 24 houses are on 24 planets and the Klingon Empire is vast and they're, they're far more technologically advanced than humans in, in Archer's time in regards to weapons and all that. It makes perfect sense when you put all that into context. And yeah. I mean, the first encounter between the, N- the NXA-1 and a bird of prey, you know, that was firing tor- normal torpedoes, like rocket-propelled torpedoes, and the Klingons had photon torpedoes. <laughs> yeah. You know, so <laughs> the fact that they're so spread out makes perfect sense to me. And like Mike says, everything that Mike says makes perfect sense. You know, there's, you're, you're part of the Empire, but you're not Klingon but you can come and fight on our ships and we'll send you to fight the humans because we don't want to touch them because they're dirty little zubs, you know. And then you've got the sarcophagus ship. Who God only knows what that's all about. Well, we know that the Klingons are a very religious and they've got ceremonies for all these things. And I like the fact it's taken what we know of the Klingons and, as I mentioned in our previous episode, that what we've seen of the Klingons so far that a lot of it, they've got this sort of skeleton bone armour sort of thing. Because we've also seen some pictures of sort of some leather-bound uniforms, which is probably what I think is going to be their normal uniform. But I think this is like their dress uniform. But yeah, being a warrior cast... Guard, exactly. This is them dressed in a warrior's version of their dress uniform. And they're sending off this sort of sarcophagus of a leader maybe or someone else and they do the Klingon scream saying this warrior is coming um, to the afterlife um, as the warning that they do so it's still got it's still rooted in the traditions that we've seen although it's taken it that little bit further now whether or not when we have seen the Klingon deaths and they do their thing they haven't really had they've been in a sort of a battle area or straight after they haven't been in something that's more of their own home world sort of thing whereas one of the things i think is happening because again we see this they're in what in some ways could be their sort of church almost is that this is why i think we come across a planet that they have actually colonized and maybe we haven't detected them or we uh, maybe the federation haven't detected them somehow and things are kicked off there yeah, which wouldn't make sense because from the look of it, it's, it's, it's on the edge of Federation space yeah. in what looks like an asteroid field. So, uh, but, you know, as everyone knows, a baddie either hides in a volcano or inside an asteroid. <laughs> One of the things that we've also seen is how much more detailed things like their weapons are. When it comes to television quality these days, where we've got huge, great TVs, we're watching 4K TV on them, Things are even in development for 8K. You can really see the detail on a prop. So the quality of things, and especially weapons, they need to be more detailed, especially compared to previous incarnations of Star Trek. It looks like, once again, they have gone, this is what we need to do, and they've gone and done it. The detail that we've seen when it came to the little things that they had, like Star Trek Las Vegas and things like that, there is so much detail on all this, on all the weapons that we've seen. Um, I think this looks absolutely amazing. 
yeah, the attention to detail is brilliant. You know, the, the prop makers have really, really gone out the way to make these things look fantastic. And it goes back to what I've said. They've been given a proper budget for a sci-fi series. They've said, right, this is what you've got. And they've sort of gone to town and they've put that effort into making it look good. Which puts an awful lot of pressure on the show to actually succeed. Exactly. You get what you pay for, sort of thing. They are coming out, by the, from what I've seen in the trailers, the same sort of quality that we saw in three recent movies. So it's a huge step up compared to what we saw even in the movies for um, like the TNG ones. Oh, so you've, you, you know, the, uh, the studio executives have only got to look at what the, not the competition, but what the standard is on television now and... You've got, you know, the uh, the Sci-Fi Channel funded content, uh, which is much lower budget than uh, Discovery's getting. But shows like Dark Matter, Killjoys are turning out good special effects based science fiction. Uh, if you want to raise the bar on what you can put on a TV screen, then The Expanse is producing stuff that is actually mind blowing, is up to a theatrical quality. Uh, a lot of that is because it's not high energy uh, special effects. It's, you know, more controlled, more slower moving. You know, it's all sublight. Uh, but definitely the, the world that show has created has set the standard that Discovery is uh, going to have to meet and probably will do, judging from what we've seen. As long as they don't have clean guns with like earrings through the ridges like on JJ ones. Yeah. But, well, for me, even when it came to the Kelvin timeline that we saw, um, Again, if these are Klingons that they're getting their ridges back um, or only partially lost it because of the Augment virus, they want other things to make them stand out, which is why they had that extra decoration on. For me, I thought that was quite clever um, because you'd got these Klingons that they want to make themselves look more menacing and they didn't want themselves looking human and they sort of pierce themselves instead. Yeah, but I mean, okay, the fact that they're in a different universe because they're in the Kelvin universe, not the Prime universe aside, one of the things that they've hinted at with these King Guns is the, the ridges are actually sensors, like like um, sonar or pheromones or something like that, like in sharks and dolphins and things like that. In which case, sticking a ring through it is going to bloody hurt. Klingons are about the pain. That's not really a worry for them. Yeah, that's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <As> a, <laughs> I've got rings in my ridges, mate. Bring them on. So as a welcome, uh, they go out drinking with their mates. How do they greet each other? They give it a Liverpool kiss. So, <laughs> and for and anyone for who... overseas listeners, that's a headbutt. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they're experiencing some pain for a piercing. Not really an issue. And let's face it, as humans... Some piercings we know people get, we know hurt a lot. So, yeah, I think a warrior cast are not really going to be squeamish about getting piercings. <laughs> so. so what about the ship then? Well, again, we only see, uh, what, three seconds of it in total? Um, yeah, we, we get a glimpse of the outside. Uh, we get a glimpse inside when the sarcophagus rises. Uh, and we see the cling, some of the Klingons greeting each other. And then we see all the Klingons coming out of warp to surround the Shenzhou. Now, again, the ship has a lot more detail on it. A lot more than what we've seen before. Again, they've got the budget and we've got the technology 
to do that. Um, just like with the Federation ship, the amount of detail we see, so much better. Um, again, once we see more of it, um, but you see it, it's just like, that looks like a Klingon ship. Yes, it looks different, and you've got to look at it a couple of seconds, and then you go, ah. But basically, if you were shown a, a screenshot of it, and it's just like, what alien race do you think that is? You'd look at it, and you would think Klingon. It's different, but not too different to what we've seen. It basically ups the standard based on today's technology level and production level that we see, but not rewriting it from scratch sort of thing. Yeah, it's an interesting take. Some aspects of it remind me of, I can't think of the guy, the guy who designed all the stuff for Alien. Some aspects of it remind me of his work that he did for Alien, the sketches of DTL and the concept work and all that. There's, there's, that's very much in that vein. You just, you just, the pictures that you've seen up inside the ship, that could just as easily be a temple on a planet. It just happens to be on board a ship. So, I've, like we said earlier, they've got a big budget. They can make these things happen. But yeah, the main thing is, there's no point having everything looking wonderful if the story's crap. Yeah, I'm personally not really worried about that. I no, guess. I'm personally not worried about the story. And from from what I've managed to see and gloom and stuff like that, and the fact that they've said that they're not going to like labour the points on anything it's going to be bang 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 you know they're not going to do give everyone a hug at the end of an episode like in TNG and at the same time they're not going to shove everyone out an airlock like Archer did and they're not going to use the Klingons like they did in TNG with Warp where basically Warp was there to show you how tough the aliens were that they, they said these are going to be proper warrior fighting get him away and I'll kill your Klingons so I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it I'm just hoping for the best yeah, and it's also nice <laughs> to see that no matter what Klingons we are and wherever you come from, they love a good candle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that seems to be the norm for uh, many uh, many an alien uh, humans meet. A certain uh, Mister Tilk on Stargate was really fond of his candles. Yes, he did like candles, didn't he? <laughs> especially when he was meditating. He loved he loved a couple of hundred candles when he was meditating. Indeed. <laughs> and it always made me laugh in all in Stargate when it says we need you and he'd be, I'll be out in a sec. I, he couldn't have been out in a sec. He had all them candles to parade. <laughs> when it comes to what we've seen so far, what has caught your eye most and what's got you worried most about what we've seen with the Klingons so far? Colin? What caught my eye the most is the 24 houses, which could possibly be on 24 factions, which means that they're going to spread over a vast distance. I like the fact that the Klingons are going to be each house will have evolved slightly different with the fruits playing all the different books. I like that aspect. The sarcophagus ship, if that is a deep hibernation sleeper ship, LA Khan, that could open a world of possibilities because you could have Klingons waking up on that ship that don't know anything about the Federation and the Klingon war. Because there's actually a line in the trailer where he says, we have, we have waited for someone worthy of us. So they could wake up, find out the Federation and Klingons are at war and thought, oh yeah, we'll have a bit of that. So there's that aspect as well. And I also like the fact that the, the Klingons in this are going to be, like, like Mike said, the genocidal Klingons that we expect them to be. What about you, Mike? Um, I'd say my first thought was that, oh no, not Klingons again. Uh, as a species, they've been done to death. Surely we we know everything about them we need to know. Obviously, that was if they were going forward. Uh, the prequel gives the writers something else to work upon. 
I think they are setting the groundwork to bring forth a lot of revelations about the Klingons that we are not aware of, but will fit in with what we know. Uh, I think that's basically, you know, when the writers have been criticised about ignoring continuity, they've been pointing out that we are not going to trample all over it, but we are going to in introduce new th new elements to it. The idea of multiple houses, we know that exists. The fact that they could be significantly different physically as to be uh, a subspecies of the Klingons, yep, that's no problem at all. That'll work. Uh, they're liable to have slightly different technology. Uh, what little the Federation know about Klingon weapons and defences is probably going to go out the window. Uh, obviously, diplomat any diplomatic uh, outreaches towards the Empire and their representatives, that that's going to be meaningless. That's probably where this all kicks off. What worked once doesn't work anymore. Uh, that probably just supplements the idea that we don't have to introduce a brand new race and a whole new backstory. We can build upon what we already know. Uh, I'm not as worried as I was when it when it was first announced uh, that we're going to use big Klingons. And so far, given that I haven't seen as many of the trailers and definitely as many of the shows that have dug into these trailers and teasers in, in depth, places like Trek Yards, who for a time, every show they did was Let's look at this 30 seconds of the trailer. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm not overly excited. There are lots of other shows I'm looking forward to more than Discovery. But maybe in 12 months' time, I, we can be sitting here thinking, can't wait for, the sec for a, a full second season. Talking about the second season, um, in an interview with Alex Kurtzman, he has said that the second season of Star Trek Discovery will not be about the Klingon war, um, which is what he intimated in that interview. So we know it's not a complete lead-in to that because it's, well, way too early. We know that things basically spent a lot of time heating up, a bit like the sort of Cold War did um, here on Earth. We know it's not going to get to that stage at least. That's about as much information as we've been able to glean so far. Well, like one thing we've said, uh, the business model CBS are using to bring discovery to us. It's I'm not it's, I'm not saying it's built on you know dodgy foundations, but it relies so much on discovery working. They're all CBS online business model. If this if it doesn't pan out for for Netflix, Netflix aren't going to stump up the money to cover the show like they did the first season and that would be my only worry that discovery does okay doesn't you know break any viewing records and the budget ends up getting cut so you're thinking it might go the way of the paramount channel because cbs paramount. online i think the whole idea of individual us networks having their own online service is questionable simply because people aren't going to be spending five to ten dollars for every network they, you know, millions of people are saying, I'm not going to spend $50 a month when I only watch two shows, but I've got to have this package, I've got to have that package. So people aren't going to spend $10 a month for CBS Online, $10 a month for NBC Online. It's That's where Netflix, Hulu, Amazon work, because they bring content in from multiple sources. They can spread the uh, income around. You'll always find something to watch for your $6, $7 more if you have the HD and multiple account services. The thing is, TV has been heading this way for a while, and it's where it's going to go. I don't see that changing. We are going to see a lot more of these. 
even Netflix saw it coming, which is why they started with their original programming themselves. They knew they had to do more than just streaming other people's content. So we're going to see an awful lot more of this popping up over the years. And eventually cable will disappear in America and it will just be... And you say, yes, you will have a thing where it's just like, okay, I want to watch this program. But then you'll say, okay, I can afford to watch one show. So I'm going to subscribe this month to that network, the next month to that one. Because that's the thing about streaming is unlike with cable, you just pay for the package and you've always got it. Basically, with the streaming stuff, you subscribe for a month, you then drop it. You subscribe to another network for a month, you then drop that once you finish that other series. And you basically rotate those. So you, you yeah, but that's you, the American model. It's what it's, I, it's, it's the American model. That's that's not the lot. I mean, the rest of the world is going to get Star Trek on Netflix. Yeah, you know, and over here, I mean, we have to pay a license fee for the privilege of having the BBC tell us things we don't want them to tell us. Oh, uh, don't Germany even get has me to pay a license on that. fee. <laughs> they start broadcasting. Yeah, and I'm not a I'm not a fan of the BBC in the slightest. Or the mm, license yeah, fee. either am I. I, um, I would have no worries if Netflix had announced they were making a Star Trek show and they, they were spending $100 million on a 15-episode season, I would have yeah. had less worries if that was what was announced nearly two years ago. Yeah. See, my, um, my worry with this is... Because they did the thing with the Paramount Channel, which was supposed to carry Star Trek, and then they weren't getting the viewing figures that they got, so they knocked Enterprise on the end and then they knocked the Paramount Channel on the end. And it's all about that where, like Mike said, if Netflix says we're doing Star Trek, we've acquired the rights, we're going to make a series, I'd have thought, right, this is in, I'm not bothered. The I thing know, is, go it's on, just continue. the fact that if they don't get the money in, in America, CBS does not get the money in the subscription ways, um, and they can't bolster it with the adverts, then will this survive? The thing is, basically, most of Star Trek Discovery was prepaid for with the Netflix deal and Netflix had obviously known how big Star Trek is that they've bought the rights to all of it so there's obviously the interest and the money out there for people to subscribe and watch the show I myself um, got back into Netflix and kept it going because was it July 2016 Netflix got all of Star Trek, so I spent eight months and I watched all 726 episodes and 13 movies. Will you? Will US Netflix be allowed? Be allowed to? Surely CBS Online will be the only place American viewers can watch Star Trek. Yes. Online, and, and that that's... is their primary primary network. Yeah, and it'll be. And the thing is, is CBS do an awful lot of shows. And they've got an awful lot of good shows as well. So it's it's not the only show. This is going to be one of their lead shows they're going to be pushing. But yeah, it's just one of many. Exactly. If it's one of many, then they can afford to lose it if it doesn't perform. And if it doesn't perform, if it doesn't perform on Netflix either, they will not pay that sort of money. They've shown a willingness now, because they invest in in-house content, to cancel shows. Which, which has surprised people. They go, why are they cancelling it? Because not enough people are watching it. And Netflix know exactly how many people watch their shows. But no, what I'm saying is, CBS, people may go to CBS All Access because they want to watch Discovery, but they might stick around and keep paying for the subscription because maybe they want to watch NCIS, maybe they want to watch Criminal Minds, Big Bang Theory, Bull, um, was it Hawaii Five-0? 
um, elementary scorpion um, trying to think madam secretary um, uh, the new MacGyver I'm trying to think of other programs that I watch which CBS has done there's so many other good series there that I can see a lot of people who are Trekkies who maybe don't watch CBS all that often they subscribe to that they see something else shown oh that looks interesting or I've seen somebody else do that and they keep paying for the subscription because they're interested in it which is what which is how people get interested and hooked on keep their subscription going on Netflix. It's the same sort of thing. You get drawn in by a show. And in this case, it's Star Trek, which has a worldwide recognition. It's a draw to get people in to watch other shows. So, but it's, it still has a monetary and performance value against it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I hope it does. I would hate to see, to see that they make this and then we don't get any more Star Trek for another decade. I would hate for that to happen. Even if I didn't like... Even if after I watched the show, I think, well, it was okay, but it wasn't brilliant. I would still be disappointed if Star Trek didn't appear for a second season or a third season. I want this to succeed because even if I don't like it, I think whatever they do next, I might like. But ultimately, the CBS online business model, Star Trek has got to work first for CBS and second for Netflix. If either one of them aren't happy, then there is no guarantee that the money will be there at the same level as for the first season. Thing is these aren't just the only money-making avenues cbs has to do with star trek because star trek discovery even if the online doesn't perform as what they want they have all the licensing agreements with well even cryptic studios for star trek online disruptor beam for star trek timelines all the people with costume stuff that they make all the toys even if a show wasn't performing as well as they wanted it having all this other stuff happening still brings in a huge amount of money. So even if it didn't perform as well as they wanted, I can. It's. I don't think there's a worry of this being cut um, in that sort of manner because the interest for Star Trek is still out there. They've put so much money into pushing Star Trek with all the new movies and everything else, which Paramount did. It's one of the reasons why we didn't get any TV because part of the agreement with Paramount because there was that split in Viacom where CBS got all the toys, the products and the TV stuff where Paramount got all the movies. And but, yet older Star Trek uh, merchandising still outsells JJ. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Amazing, isn't it? That we still have such a massive collection of things that CBS can make money from that I don't think it's a worry that this one isn't quite doing as good as it was on All Access because they're still getting money from Space, from Netflix. And yeah, I, I think it's going to be OK personally. But as always, time will tell. Indeed. OK, so getting to wrap up, any final thoughts on the Klingons? So far, what I've seen, the makeup and prosthetic uh, people experts are doing a fantastic job giving us a new look for the Klingons. Uh, let's hope the story uh, fulfills their efforts. What about you Colin? Yeah I'm looking forward to it when I get back from a holiday. <laughs> um, for me I'm liking what I see. I've especially when it comes to the props looks fantastic. Looking forward to learning more about these other houses and factions of Klingons and how it all fits in with what we know of canon so far. Okay, well, that's it for this episode. Thank you both for joining us and thank you for everyone for listening. 
if you would like to get in contact with us. Tell us whether you like or dislike the show. Tell us if you agree or disagree with anything we've said. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Star Trek Discovery and what we know about it so far and what you think of the people who will be in front and behind the scenes. So, to get in contact with us, you can head to our website at newhorizons.show. You can use the Contact Us form there, or you can send us an email at crew at newhorizons.show. Or there's a little widget on every one of the web pages on our website that you can send us a voice recording, or you can head over to speakpipe.com forward slash newhorizonspodcast. You can also leave us a message through Facebook at New Horizons Podcast or on Twitter, it's at New Horizons Cast. You can also find us by searching for us on Google Plus or Star Trek Riser.com. So, lots of ways you can get in contact with us, whatever is easiest for you. Do you have that written down or do you memorize it? You know me, I just talk. <laughs> <laughs> I just um, have to ask. Yeah, one final thought before we go, folks. Our logo was created by Kessel Junkie on Twitter. So give him a follow on Twitter. And if you want him to create any uh, artwork for you, you can drop him an email at kesseljunkie at gmail.com. That's K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E at gmail.com. So any graphic design work um, and so on and so forth. It would be lovely to hear from you. Because he did that for us as a favour. So, Mike, do you want to plug your stuff? Why not? If you want to get in touch with me, uh, best place is probably Twitter. You can find me uh, at Jarak, J-A-R-R-A-K. My Stargate podcast can be found at stargatearchives.com. Pop in, have a listen, uh, let us know what you think. But as always, keep on enjoying Star Trek because Star Trek's the daddy of them all. Well said. (laughs) Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all again for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.